he basically spelled out the doctrine, Bible doctrine, Bible teachings, okay? Now in the last three chapters, he's going to talk about application. So the first three chapters are doctrinal, and the last three are practical. And he does that in a lot of his letters, like the book of Romans. Um, the first 11 chapters are doctrinal, and then the last five are practical. Okay? That's why I try to end every sermon with an application. How do we apply what we learn? Okay? And God's word teaches if you don't apply God's truth, God will take that truth from you. Okay? So we have to apply the truths that God teaches us in his word. And so now Paul's going to start talking about the believer's walk. And the first six verses here of Ephesians 5, it's going to be the believer's walk regarding other believers. Okay? And uh, then he's going to move on. And it's, it's, it's interesting, too, because he focuses on the unity in the church. Now, he just told us in chapter 2 that we're united. Jew and Gentile are united in one body in Christ. Okay? Jesus has broken down the dividing wall in the temple. Jew and Gentile, united. Now what Paul's going to say is, okay, now you need to live that way. Okay? We're united in Christ. The world needs to see that unity expressed uh, in our daily lives. Okay? And so Paul, he's already talked about our spiritual blessings in Christ. You know, we focus too often on um, all the, the difficult uh, things of life or sometimes the, the, you know, the goodies we get in this world. We need to focus on our spiritual blessings in Christ, what we have in the heavenly places, our eternal inheritance waiting there for us. He talked about the fact that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. It's the only way we can be saved. And then he talked about the fact that Jew and Gentile form one church in Christ. Gentiles no longer have to get circumcised and become Jews uh, in order to follow the God of Israel. Now salvation you know, is through faith in Jesus. It's always been through faith in Jesus. But you don't have to identify uh, with uh, the, uh, the Jewish faith. Now Jesus, the Jewish Messiah is known as the savior of all mankind, okay? And, um, and we, boy, we need to, you know, you look at what's going on in Israel right now, and, um, you know, you'll end up uh, shooting 2,700 missiles at them, and everybody ignores that because uh, with Iron Dome, the Israelis will shoot down 95% of those. And, uh, but then when they retaliate, they get blamed Whereas their their enemies, these terrorists, they're you know they store their their bombs and their military with right alongside children, so they could do a propaganda campaign with the world. Well, we need to be grateful to Israel, even to the even to the Jews who haven't trusted in Jesus for salvation yet. Um, salvation is of the Jews. Their Messiah. I'm I'm glad that salvation has gone to the Gentiles. But we need to be grateful to the Jews and pray for Israel. But Paul teaches Jew and Gentiles, those who trust in Jesus for salvation, are one church. And now he's going to apply this doctrine here in Ephesians chapter 4. And so you look at chapter 4, the first verse, 
I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, he called himself that in the first verse of chapter 3. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. So he was in prison for preaching the gospel. Got arrested in Jerusalem, eventually ended up in prison in Rome. Uh, he was doing his share. Now he's asking them. He's like, hey, look, I'm, I'm suffering for the cause of the gospel. I'm 100% in. Now I want you to be 100% in. Okay? And, you know, most of us here in America, our faith is yet to be tested. Well, it's going to be tested. And I've been warning people about this for decades. C.S. Lewis warned people about it since the 1940s. Our faith is going to be tested. And Paul's faith was tested, and he was still preaching Jesus, even in prison. And... Uh, but Paul's telling them, hey, look, you've got to practice what you preach. And he told us what to believe in the first three chapters. Now he wants us to apply it. He was doing his share. Now he's asking the Ephesians uh, to do the same. And, um, and he's, he's, just basically, he's appealing to them here. He's not even bringing in his apostolic authority. He's just basically saying, look, I beseech you. I beg you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So he's telling them, walk worthy, to live a lifestyle characterized by goodness. By the way, Paul will exercise. He will bring in his apostolic authority if needed. If he loses his patience with you like the Corinthians, he's going to let you know. If the Galatians are falling for a false gospel, he's going to let you know. I got my apostleship not from the other apostles, but from Jesus himself. Okay? Nobody on the planet Earth has that apostolic authority today. The Bishop of Rome thinks he has it. Um, a few fly-by-night guys throughout America think they have it. Full-blown apostolic authority. You don't obey them and you're disobeying God. No, look, look, this is, this is our authority right here. Amen. The 66 books of the Bible, okay? That's why the Reformers, the Reformers said, they looked and they said... Uh, Bishop of Rome, you're missing a boat on quite a few of these. They tried to reform the church. They ended up getting kicked out, and they didn't lose any sleep over it. And, um, um, but we got to do the same. We got to do the same. We got we to gotta stand, you know, and, and there's, we differ. We have people here, God bless you, that differ with me on non-essential, sometimes very important, but non-essential doctrines but on the essentials of the faith. And we'll be talking about them. If not today, we'll be talking about them next week because Paul's going to talk about the things that unite us, and one of those is the one faith that we share, the body of doctrines that all true Christians share. And, um, but he's saying, look, you've got to practice what you preach. You've got to live like a child of God should live. If you're a child of God, the old you is dead. The old Phil Fernandez is dead. Why in the world would I try to bring him back and imitate the old dead Phil Fernandez when now I'm a new creation in Christ? And that's the same for all of us. So uh, we've got to practice what we preach. We've got to live like a child of God should live. We've got to live like the new creations that we are. And Paul talks about it. He says, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Okay? Um, walk worthy. Live, live a lifestyle that is worthy of the calling. 
See, we, we've been saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, but true saving faith produces good works. And so we've been called to a life of good works and a life of devotion to God and a life of unity with other believers, and we should live up to that calling. Okay? Um, good works, that's not the root of salvation. It's the fruit of salvation. It's not the cause of salvation. It's the result of salvation. But we need to live consistently with our calling in Christ. Okay? Now, you know... Let's say uh, you ran for political office and you got elected. So basically the people called you to do a job and then you didn't do anything. Okay? Um, I mean, I, I can think of two presidents in my, my head right now. One, the, the guy, I don't know if the guy slept two, day, two hours a day. And then the other guy, I don't even know if he's awake two hours a day. You know? <laughs> But whatever the case, if you're going to be the president of the United States, or you're going to be a congressman, you're going to be a senator, you're going to be a governor, you're going to be a mayor, people expect you to walk worthy with that honorable calling. Okay? And, um, and we think, yeah, that's, that's right. Those important people, those bigwig people, those powerful people, they need to walk worthy in a worthy manner, consistent with their position. None of them have, unless they're believers in Jesus, none of them have your power. They're not believers. They don't have your calling. Okay? I don't care who the president is, whether it's Trump or Biden, without Jesus, if they don't know Jesus. Okay? You got more power than they got. You got a higher calling. So we look at these uh, politicians and we say, oh, the hypocrite says one thing, does another, and isn't that? Well, that, those are, that's the minor leagues. That's the power of man. We got the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We talked about it last week. The, the same power that it took God the Father to raise Jesus from the dead, we've got that power living in us right now, working through us. So before we call the politicians hypocrites, which, by the way, we got a lot of good evidence that that is the case, what about us? If we're sons and daughters of the king, and we don't act like sons and daughters of the king, doesn't that make us Hypocritical. You know, are you walking worthy of the calling that you received in the Lord? And if you don't remember what that calling is, read the first three chapters of Ephesians, especially Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. All the spiritual blessings that we have in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. we got to stop pretending that we're just regular people. Okay? Now, yeah, we're regular people saved by the, the almighty, all-powerful God, but then once he indwells us, we have to stop settling for mediocrity. You know? I mean, it's this, you know, political leaders that could disagree with us, and, uh, and they could even threaten us. They could even try to tell us they're going to kill us and imprison us for preaching the gospel. 
And if you disagree with them, they'd probably look you, stare you in the eye and say, who do you think you are? I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Who is the lamb who was slain? But he's the risen king. And he's good. And he's all powerful. And I'm his child. That's who I am. President Biden, whoever the leader of the UN is or whatever, that's who I am. Now let me ask you, who do you think you are? Messing with one of the king's kids. Things are going to get rough. Things are going to get real rough in this country for those who believe. Okay? If God's called you to be a quiet Christian, be a quiet Christian. There's powerful things that quiet people do. But if God's called you to be loud, then you be loud. and It's going to get hot in the kitchen. But we all got to be all that God called us to be. And uh, we got to walk in a manner that is worthy with the calling which we receive. Live consistently with our, our calling of Christ. Maybe more people will come to our churches. If we, act, you know, if we, we, we walk around, we act like losers. Okay, and I'm not saying be boastful, be arrogant. But don't like act like it's going to be the end of the world just because of some political decision or some new law or this or that. Let me tell you, Jesus, my God, my God is not afraid of Marxism. Now we've got to sound the alarm and let people know about all this garbage, this critical race theory and critical social justice and... Um, uh, the neo-Marxism and cultural Marxism, we got to let people know. I mean, if we Christians don't sound the alarm before the genocide, who, who's going to? The atheist? At the same time, as we are watchmen at the wall, as we are watchmen and we proclaim and we sound the warning, please do not sound like losers. Okay? You read to the end in Revelation 20, 21, 22, we win. Because our, our, we are overcomers because of the Lord Jesus. Now we gotta, we got to walk in a manner that is worthy with that calling. So what, I, what I'm telling you, you, we feel like, well, I'm just an ordinary guy. Yeah, well, you're an ordinary guy who's indwelt by the extraordinary God. Okay? So don't listen to the world when the world says you're a loser. Listen to your king. And says the same power that's in that, that, that God the Father used to raise Jesus from the dead, that's at work in you. Okay? And um, so I, I think that we're called to a higher calling than the President of the United States, assuming the President of the United States is not a Christian. And we've got to get serious about this. This isn't, you know, don't, don't come to church to play games with Jesus. Okay? Don't make your Christian walk something on the side. You know, it's like, hey, you know, I'm a Mariners fan or Seahawk fan or whatever. That's a big thing. And I've got a little bit of Christianity on the side. You know? 
with Don Davidson. I don't know who Don Davidson stole it from, so I'll, I don't want to steal it from him, but Don Davidson would say that Jesus doesn't want to be a part of your life. Seahawks can be a part of your life. If you're more spiritually mature, the Raiders can be part of your life. Um, um, Mariners can be part of your life. But Jesus wants to be your life. Jesus wants to be the reason why you get up in the morning. Jesus wants to be the reason why you do what you do throughout the day. The reason for every breath you take. We got to walk in a manner that is worthy with the calling we've received. And then Paul tells us how to do that. Verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. That's when it gets hard. I mean, it's just like, verse 1, he's like, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. It's like, wow, good, now I feel important. What do I got to do? And it's almost like he says, you know, like it almost drops from this high call and spiritual blessings in heavenly places to, okay, go clean toilets type of thing. You know, and that's honorable thing. I mean, we need good sanitation and things of that sort. But you're, you're acting, you're thinking like, well, if I'm going to sit, if I'm going to reign with Christ when he comes back and the thrones and all this stuff, man, it's going to be good what that means to walk worthy of the calling which with, with which I am called. But he says, no, with all lowliness and gentleness with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Okay, that humil that lowliness of mind is humility, not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. Okay, not thinking more of yourself, more highly of yourself than you ought to. Um, so our high calling, and it is as high of a calling as a human could get. Our high calling should not lead us to be arrogant. Or conceited, we are to be humble. Okay? So, yes, we are heaven bound. If you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, yes, we are heaven bound. Yes, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit who has empowered us to do tremendous things for God's kingdom and for his glory. Okay? But always remind yourself you don't deserve heaven. Always remind yourself, we deserve hell. It's all of grace, okay? It's all of grace. We've got uh, to be humble. Don't allow our high calling that should not lead us to be arrogant and conceited. We need to be humble. We've got to remind people when we're telling them, look, you're a sinner. You deserve the flames of hell, and the only way to be saved is through the Lord Jesus who died on the cross for your sins. We've got to remind them. Okay, I would say it put it to them this way. We are all sinners. We deserve the flames of hell. And the only way we can be saved is through faith in Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to conquer death for us. Remind people that you're not saying, look, I'm, I'm okay and I don't need Jesus. I remember my old Rocco Minichino, my uncle, my godfather, my mother's brother. He told me his, his sons were pretty rough guys and stuff, and they were getting in trouble, and uh, now they're good guys. I'm on Facebook with them and all, and uh, 
But my uncle Rocco told me, he said, you know, he always used to give me a hard time for being a Christian. And, um, uh, but he told me once when I was visiting, he said, you know, he says, I wish you would talk to my sons. And uh, I said, why is that? He says, because I think they need religion. I, I don't need Jesus, but it, they really do. You know, and I'm like, well, yeah, they need him, but I think you do too. He's like, no, no, I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm, I'm doing fine, you know. And um, uh, we got to remind people we all need Jesus, okay? We all have earned the flames of hell. But salvation is offered to us through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose from the dead to conquer death for us. Look at Philippians chapter 2. The very next book in the Bible, Philippians chapter 2. See, Paul is trying to get us to, to be united, united in Christ. He's saying, look, you are united. Now I want you to act united. Okay? Um, Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Do you realize we're supposed to be of one mind? Not just with people at Trinity Bible Fellowship, but with Christians throughout the world. We're supposed to be of one mind. By the way, we, all have, we each have our own minds. So how can over a billion minds be of one mind? You know how? You put on the mind of Christ. And there's some people that are united, and they're still going to hell. Because they put, they're putting on the mind of Joe Smith or Muhammad. Okay? No, we put on the mind of Christ. That's where our unity is. Verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. See, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. Okay? Love, in a self, selfless manner... You seek the greatest good for others without expecting anything in return. It's selfless. Selfishness, it's all about you. Okay? And um, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness, there's that word again, that humility, but in lowliness of mind, let's, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interest but also for the interest of others. Okay? We're supposed to be putting others' needs before our own. Then he gives us an example. He says, let this mind, here's that one mind again, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we need to put on the mind of Christ. That's how we'll have unity. See, to be of one mind means we have one agenda. If we walk in today... Let's say there's 50, 60 of us. We walk in with 50 or 60 agendas, there will be no unity. But if we walk in here with the mind of Christ, with God's agenda, and it's called the kingdom of God, if we live to build God's kingdom, not our own, then we can have uh, the kind of unity that God desires for us. And so let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And then he shows that Jesus was the perfect example of humility. By the way, you cannot have unity 
in a church without humility. If you don't humble yourself and put others' needs before your own, you're not going to have that unity. And so Jesus set the example. He basically said, look, who, and I'm going to just paraphrase here, that Jesus, even though he continues to exist in nature as God, he's God the Son, he didn't cling to his equal privileges with God, but without ceasing to be God, he became a man, added a human nature. Now you might not think, if you were a slug, you know, if a slug became a man, that, wouldn't, that would be an exaltation. That would be a promotion, okay? But for God to become a man, that's humiliating. That is humiliating. And so he humbled himself and emptied himself of his reputation by becoming a man. And then he even humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And as painful as, as crucifixion is, the emphasis here is on the shame, the humiliation, being publicly executed by the pagan Romans, nailed naked to a tree. Okay? A slow, agonizing, shameful death. So shameful that most guys that got crucified, not all, not it's only Jesus that had a, uh, a proper burial. There's a Johannine guy that they, they couldn't get the spike out of the, the guy, I believe, I can't remember if his wrist or his ankle, and, um, and, uh, but he, they found his, he was in an ossuary, the little box that they kept. But most guys that got crucified, they just threw them in a common grave. Like their loved ones would be like, man, these guys are cursed. Old Testament says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And so God the Son left the throne room of the Father and humbled himself by becoming a man and even humbled himself to the point of death on the cross for our sins. And because he humbled himself, what did God the Father do? God exalted him to the highest place. So that every knee should bow to Jesus and will bow to Jesus when he returns and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, given, given Jesus the name above all other names. What is that name? It's Jesus. That's the name which we're going to bow. It's just God's, the Father, God's word is just saying that at Jesus' name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. And that brings glory to God the Father it's not like they're in opposition. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, but they are the one God. Jesus set the example. Are you living sacrificial living? Are you humbling yourself and putting the needs of others in our church family uh, before uh, your own? Okay? Um, James 4.10, and we, we don't have time to look there, but I'll just quote it, but... James 4.10 is kind of like what Jesus did. And, he, you know, he was setting an example for us, but his death on the cross is more than an example. His death on the cross, he died as a substitute sacrifice for our sins and took our punishment for us to satisfy the justice of God. Because God cannot forgive sin unless it's been paid for in full. Jesus paid for it in full. Um, but also by doing that, it set an example for us how we should be willing to humble ourselves before the Lord and humble ourselves before our Christian brothers and sisters. 
So James 4.10, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will what? Exalt you. You want to be first in God's kingdom? You be the servant of all. Okay? And um, it's our job to humble ourselves. It's our job to carry a cross. Take that mission the Lord's given us. It's the Lord's job to distribute crowns and thrones. Okay? That's his business. I just got to carry my cross. Whatever that mission the Lord has given me. But in order to do that, I got to humbly serve the king. Okay? There's no, there's no such thing as a non-humble servant of Jesus. You know, how did Jesus give us an example of humility? He stripped down to his underwear like a servant and he washed the disciples' feet. Okay? We need a whole lot more foot washing going on. Not only at our church, and churches throughout the country, throughout the world. And I'm not talking about literal foot washing, but I'm talking about we got we to gotta serve one another. We've got to love God with everything you got, then love our neighbor as ourselves, serve others, and, um, and uh, it's got to be done out of humility. You're not going to have unity in the church uh, without humility. And so there's that with all lowliness and gentleness. Gentleness means meekness of heart. It's an inner peace, an inner freedom of strife that allows us to outwardly accept what comes our way without complaining or disputing. It's, 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 that gentleness is, comes from like having the joy of the Lord despite the circumstances that go around. It's not like most people when they talk about inner peace, they're talking about some new age, you know, just deny, deny the whole world's blowing up type of thing. It's kind of like, uh, what when is, I think it was a CNN reporter Buildings were on fire and things were blowing up. And the guy's saying, this is a mostly a peaceful protest here. It's like, no, dude, things are blowing up. If that's in my neighborhood, I'm getting out of town. Okay? That's not a peaceful protest. Okay? And, um, and you know, well, I don't even want to get into it. But, but uh, no, the true inner peace that comes from God is a peace with God that causes us to have peace with other people and causes us to trust in God's truth and to trust in God to live by faith in God and his promises rather than by sight in our circumstances. Okay? And, um, and so that, that gentleness, that meekness of heart, um, you know, it, it's, it's a willingness to turn the other cheek. Um, Look at Matthew 5. It's not in the notes there, but in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addressed this. Matthew 5, verse 5. Matthew 5, verse 5. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, so the meek weren't the zealots. Okay, the zealots, they wanted to overthrow Rome. That was the most important thing for the zealots was their Jewish patriotism. Okay, 
If you live in a country like America, I think you ought to be patriotic. I mean, we've had more freedom, more prosperity, more health, good health than any other nation and all. But our number one allegiance is not to America. We're citizens of heaven. And what Jesus is saying is those who are meek. You know what meek is? Meek is not weak. Meek means you control your strength. Okay? Um, a tame, and the word, by the way, the word is used for this in the Greek as well, but a, a, a tame horse, a horse that is broken, has as much strength as it had before when it was a wild horse. But now that strength is controlled. Okay? Um, you see, like, boxers, you know, like Mike Tyson, former boxers and stuff like that, you can have all the power in the world, but you've got to tame it. You've got to control it and use it in a proper way so that Mike Tyson has probably knocked out double, dozens of guys way bigger and way stronger than him. And it usually took him a minute, minute and a half to, to, to end the fight. But that was a controlled strength. Okay? And, um, and so Jesus is saying, look, it's not the hotheads who are going to inherit the earth. It's those who are meek enough to obey my word, stand up for what is right, but obey my word and, and trust in me and control their anger through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, control their strength. Okay? And um, um, good movie on meekness. Um Uh, the Quiet Man with John Wayne. I don't know if you guys ever heard of John Wayne, um, um, but um, but The Quiet Man, and it was, you know, based on a short story and and all. But 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 there's a there's a guy who's got the strength, but doesn't want to doesn't want to whoop the guy who keeps trying to start a fight with him until eventually his his hand gets forced. There's a time. There's a time to fight. There's a time to fight, but I'm telling you, um, when we gather to worship, that's not the time to fight. Okay? We got battles that need to be fought. But, um, but the fact of the matter is, if we can't be gentle to one another and have that, that meekness of heart, that control, controlled strength, that willingness to turn the other cheek, then we're just like a wild horse. We're just going to run all over the place. Okay, but you break a horse, you train a horse, you, you know, you might even win the Kentucky Ter Derby or whatever it's called. And, um, but we need that gentleness, that meekness of heart. We also need, so with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, long-suffering, macrothumia in the Greek, it basically means patience, the inward ability to endure both hardships and the faults of others. Look what Jesus put up with Peter. Peter was going to deny him three. Jesus knew he was going to deny him three times. He says, Peter, you're going to die, deny me three times tonight, but I'm going to pray for you. Okay? And when you bounce back, I want you to feed my sheep. First sermon he preached on the Feast of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. Jesus didn't give up uh, on Peter. How many, uh, how many people have we given up on? brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
And don't get me wrong, some people have given us some pretty good reasons for giving up on them, but, uh, but we need to be more patient with others. Okay? Even Paul, who could write this. I don't know, I think, I think Paul lacked a little macrothumia when it came to John Mark. Um, first missionary journey, Barnabas brings along his nephew, John Mark, and the guy wimps out and leaves. So after the Jerusalem council, Paul and Barnabas are about to go on their second missionary journey, Acts, like the close of Acts 15, and, um, and Barnabas wants to bring John Mark along again. And Paul's like, what's this? He's my nephew. You going to bring him? Yeah, and then he got in this big argument. It's like the Marine Corps with leadership. It's, you know, what's more important, accomplishment of the mission or the welfare of the troops? And I think almost all Marines would say accomplishment of the mission or we wouldn't be Marines. However, I think the best Marines would say if you don't take care of the welfare of the troops, you can't accomplish the mission. Well, Barnabas was favoring grace and the welfare of the troops and forgive the guy and give him a second chance. Paul was like, no, this is too important. That guy's just going to hold us back. Now, John Mark ended up writing the Gospel of Mark. Paul, late in his life, said, send me John Mark for he's useful to me. Okay? So even Paul needed work. Paul wasn't perfect. Even he needed some work with Macrothumia. Now, Barnabas probably erred a little bit too much on the side of grace, and, um, and Paul probably erred too much on the side of justice and the mission. None of us are perfect, uh, but Paul's preaching to himself as much as to us. Okay? And so we've got to be patient with others. I mean, you, you get this patience with others, and then also that, uh, that gentleness, that meekness of heart, being willing to turn the other cheek. You know, Romans 12, 18 says, um, be at, so long as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And what that tells us is that sometimes you, you can't, it takes two to tangle, okay? There's some people you just cannot make peace with them. But we've got to do everything in our power to make peace with others to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, and, um, and to be at peace with all men so long as it depends upon us. And then Paul says here in verse 2, with all lowliness, that's humility and gentleness, that's meekness, with long-suffering, that's patience, bearing with one another in love. And so forbearance, applying patience by holding back, refraining from, okay, we're, we're asked to, to, to you know, put up with one another despite our faults. You know, Proverbs 18.19 says that uh, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And how many times have we done that? Offended a brother or sister in the Lord over some small issue. And it caused damage in our fellowship with that brother or sister for years to come. Um... See, the world pictures, this is what a strong man and a strong woman looks like. And then God in his word tells us what a strong man and a strong woman actually do look like, and they don't look anything alike. They don't look anything uh, alike. And so are we being humble and putting others' needs before our own and gentle with others and patient and forbearing them, and then we're to forbear them in uh, love, 
agape love, unconditional love, seeking the greatest good for others, you know, it, it's, it's impossible. Uh, without, without godly love, agape, unconditional love, it's impossible for us to be compatible with, other, with others that we don't especially like. Okay? God doesn't ask us to like everybody. You know, I might have a t- hard time liking a guy because the guy, man, a guy doesn't like football. He doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't like boxing. Um, he's not real heavy into theology. I am. He likes different music than I like. I don't even like this guy. Well, that's that's okay. God's not asking us to like everybody. God's commanding us to love everybody. Love is a choice. Okay, like eh, brotherly love is. There's some choice involved, but there's also a whole lot of taste that's involved too, and um, and so um, so you might you might have a brother or sister in the Lord and say, man, you know, I, Lord, I don't like this guy. And God's going to say, well, it doesn't matter. I'm I'm commanding you to love him. Um, but this, all Paul's asking us to do is to display the fruit of the Spirit. Remember when we went over Galatians 5, 22 and 23? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, um, above such things there is no law. These are the things that God wants to produce in our lives. God wants to change us from within. So that we can actually love one another. If we're gonna if we're gonna put up with each other, it's gonna be done through love. Love is putting others' needs before your own. Uh, look at First Corinthians thirteen, the chapter on love. First Corinthians chapter thirteen. Paul talks about, verse 4, love suffers long, well, that's patience, and is kind, that's gentleness. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, that's humility. Does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And, um, and so with, with love, Paul's asking us to display the fruit of the Spirit, to unconditionally seek the greatest good for others. And that's going to entail all that other stuff, that humility, that patience, okay, and so getting back to Ephesians 4, Paul beseeches us to walk worthy of the calling with which we were called with all lowliness, that's humility and gentleness, that's meekness, with long-suffering, that's patience, bearing with one another in love. Can we do that? Can we bear with one another in love? By the way, I'm not talking about if there's a heretic that is preaching false doctrine and leading people astray, well, we need to speak the truth in love, but out of love for that brother or sister, that heretic, uh, even if they, maybe they're not even saved, 
But out of love for that person and all the people that they're leading astray, yeah, we need to confront them. Okay? But we also have to have, we have to put up with each other in love. So even when you take, you say, okay, good, there's no heretics here. We're preaching the gospel. There might be just some kind of personality click, personality thing, some idiosyncrasy, something that just kind of bothers you about somebody. You know what? Get over it, please. You look in the mirror, you think, man, I'm just, you know, I'm the kind of guy everybody would, everybody would love me. No. God became a man. He came to earth and everybody didn't love him. They killed him. Okay? You think Jesus, when he went to the cross, was thinking about you and thinking, man, I got no complaints about? No, there was a lot of stuff that ticked him off about us. But he understood. He knew that he was dying for us. He knew that we needed. We desperately needed the Savior. And so Jesus provided salvation for us. But that's the way we got to be. Look, Jesus bared our burdens. He took our sin upon himself. I remember I was showing... uh, my grandson, when he was a little guy, the Pilgrim's Progress, and it's this uh, slide cartoon type thing. And when Christian had a burden, he turned to me and said, Dada, do I have a burden? And he gave me the opportunity to share the gospel message with him. Um, but we ought to be burden bearers. We ought to be able to put up with one another and follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And... Um, now, when you look back at Ephesians uh, 4, verse 3, it says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Some translations read, Diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We need to be diligent, hardworking at our walk. If, we're, if we are going to walk, to live, Worthy of the calling with which we are called, it is going to take diligence. There's going to be some hard work there. Now, it's going to be spirit-led and spirit-empowered work, but there's going to be some hard work there. This idea that I can slime through Christianity, but because I'm a nuclear engineer or whatever it may be, I have to be diligent with that, but then I could just kind of slime in my walk with the Lord. Go a few weeks without reading the Bible. Go a few weeks without praying. Go months or years without sharing my faith with others. I mean, nuclear power and God's power, nuclear power doesn't even come close. We need to be diligent. That's why we're called disciples. You know, you can't be a disciple without discipline. That'd be like being a, uh, trying to uh, uh, beat Mike Tyson when he was in his prime without being disciplined, without training. Okay? Even with the training, it's probably not going to happen. But, but whatever the, the case, we've got to, we have to be diligent, hardworking. We can't be disciples without discipline. 
we need to be unwavering in our commitment to the task. Okay? And so, endeavoring or be diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit, since all believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and led and empowered by Him, we are all united in seeking the same goal, and that is serving Christ, leading others to Him, discipling them. And so this unity of Spirit, we'll be talking about that more next week, but Jesus united us through His death and resurrection. That's what Paul talked about in Ephesians 2. Even Jew and Gentile. Jesus united us through his death and resurrection. You got, you got right now the political climate. They're trying, to set, they're trying to classify these people as oppressors and these people as the oppressed just based on the color of their skin. Then they're trying to take sinful behavior and say they're the good guys. Anybody who thinks their behavior is a sin, you're the bad guys. And they're trying to divide us in all these different ways. No, look. In Jesus, if you trust in Jesus for salvation, Jesus united us through his death and resurrection. Uh, we now need to preserve that unity and to promote that unity, okay? And uh, we are one people with one agenda, one people with one mind, and uh, that agenda is the kingdom of God. So the unity of spirit and then it's in the bond of peace. Christ's death not only gave us peace with God, peace means freedom from hostility, freedom from strife, freedom from divisions. Christ's death not only gave us peace with God, but also peace with other believers. Um, you know, when we're at war with other believers, we're acting as if there is no bond of peace. Um, and so we're going to close with, with John chapter 13 and verse 35. Gospel of John chapter 13. And verse 35. Um, in fact, we'll read 34 and 35. We're told here, if we're going to walk, if our Christian walk is going to be worthy of the calling to which we were called, we need to be humble, gentle, patient with one another. We need to do all this in love. We need to be hardworking and diligent in our walk to preserve that unity of spirit. Let me tell you, a divided church will not impact its community. Let me repeat that. A divided church will not impact its community. We've had people in this church before, God bless them, but in some way, shape, or form, had nothing to do with uh, essential doctrines of Christianity, but in some way, shape, or form, they were divisive. And they wanted to, you know, I don't know, bully me or whatever, and bully the leadership of this church. They were convinced that this is the way to go, that's the way to go. And I loved them and I prayed for them, but I have to be honest with you. You know, one person, one person felt that God was calling this one person to go to different churches and put pastors in their places. And these, these are all bivocational poor pastors. Well, there's no gift of judging. Okay? And... Um, and so there's causing divisions and all, but 
when those people over the years, 33 years, you get a lot of people who run through your church. When those people left and I, I prayed for them, but I also thanked God. Because they were not looking for unity. They were looking for division. Now, don't, no, don't get me wrong. We don't want Tower of Babel unity. We don't want United Nations unity. I don't even know if you can get a high-ranking position in the United Nations unless you've committed some kind of horrible genocide where you killed at least tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of innocent people. Then they'll give you a position at the UN. I don't even know why. 80% of the time, the United Nations disagreed uh, with the old Soviet Union. The UN sided with the old Soviet Union. They're going to bring world peace? I don't think so. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, will bring peace. So it's not unity for the sake of unity. It's unity in truth, unity in Christ, unity in righteousness. Okay? But that's the kind of unity we've got to strive to have uh, as a church and have that bond of peace. And we're only going to get it if we have the love that Jesus talks about in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Now, next week, we're going to look at seven areas of common ground for all believers. We'll talk about that next week, which also helps produce this unity that we should be sharing. But John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, this is what Jesus said on the night he was betrayed. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. It's like, wait a minute, Jesus, you already gave us the command to love our neighbor as ourselves. How could it be a new command? Well, it's a new command because now he's saying, hey, I want you to go beyond loving your neighbor as yourself. I'm giving you a new command that you love one another, brothers and sisters in the Lord, love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Jesus placed our needs before himself. So it's not even just loving each other as we love ourselves. It's going even beyond and putting the needs of others before our own. And then verse 35, Jesus says this, By this all will know that you are my, my disciples if you have love for one another. We're not going to have unity. We're not going to have peace um, without love. A divided church will not impact its community. By the way, I'm, I want to let you know, there's no subliminal message here, man. We are a united church. I mean, when we, over the years, every once in a while, so you get some characters in there, Satan will try to get you off track, but I'll be totally honest with you. Um, our little bits of disunity is just like brothers and sisters all in the same family. Just sometimes we just need to, to stop for a while, think about our actions and just love each other and stuff. That's just, that's just all part. We're not glorified yet. We're not perfected yet. Um, but um, I want to tell you what an honor it is. I think any of the elders of this church would say what an honor it is to shepherd a church where everybody loves Jesus so much Amen. that they kind of overlook the little idiosyncrasies 
of Phil Fernandez, Bill Pickle, maybe not Bill Pickle, but uh, um, but but it's one of those deals where uh, you know we should be here because we love Jesus and we love His Word, and because we love Jesus, we love each other. Some of us are easier to love than others. But that's okay. That's, it makes, makes life exciting. And, uh, but let's be united in Christ. We'll talk more about that unity uh, next Sunday. So let's, uh, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, help us to be meek. Help us to be humble. Help us to be peaceful and patient. Help us to be loving. Help us uh, to be united, Lord, and to walk a walk that is worthy of the calling that you've given us. We're children of the King. And so I just pray, Lord, that um, we would walk in a way that through the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory, we would walk in a way that is pleasing to you. Unite us as a church. Lord, it's, it's going to get tougher and tougher to find friends out there in this world that hates your son Jesus. So may you help us to love each other even more, to love each other with sacrificial love and to be united so that the world will know that we're Jesus' disciples by our love for one another. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to need it.